Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Todd Stiles. I'm one of the pastors here at First Family Church in Ankeny. And the Extra Point Podcast is our weekly opportunity to uh, share further insight, additional observations and applications from the text from which we preached the previous Sunday. And man, am I excited for this week's episode as we talk more about biblical baptism. That was our topic and text last Sunday, and we took some time, in fact, to answer some questions uh, that day in the service that folks were texting in. If you recall, and if you were there, we did share the platform with our elders. There were three of us there that um, shared some stories, gave some insight into some scriptures, and then, of course, took questions. And so what I want to do today is actually finish answering the questions that came in that we didn't get to in the service. And let me just say, I sure appreciate the participation of our people, um, uh, the, the way you're leaning in with great questions and a humble spirit. I look forward to just sharing some answers. We covered some of them Sunday, but there's oh several more we didn't get to. And I love just taking these and, and sharing some insight. And there's some that, of course, there could be some uh, a variance in our answers. Some may say this and some may say that. And just a humility that uh, I think is uh, pervading our body right now in regards to a number of things in which we can have some different views on their preferential issues there there are areas in which we can have some disagreeing opinions and yet we know what we can't disagree on and what unifies us and I love the way that Lord is is continuing to move in our body and give us grace for each other in areas where there uh, is some difference and yet unity in areas where we have to be aligned and so just continue that spirit even as we approach some of these questions and even in some of the answers I may provide and some of the insight, even opinions I'll share. Be aware that if we're not there together, man, there's probably some room for disagreement and we can still uh, be church members and good friends together. One of the first questions that I want to address is this one here. It regards baptism. Of course, all these questions do. Here's one that regards baptism and the um, the um, can we call it the environment in which it occurs? The question is this: Is there anything in the Bible that says a person must be baptized in front of a crowd? What about just being baptized in front of family, friends, or a small group? So I think to answer the question uh, factually in regards to is there anything in the Bible that says a person must be baptized in front of a crowd? My answer would be no. In fact, I would say that we have a few examples in the Bible where that doesn't happen. The uh, Ethiopian eunuch in the early chapters of Acts, I think it may be Acts 8, um, he is just baptized in the desert uh, by himself. I think it's with Philip, and I think he says to Philip, is it? Or maybe it's Stephen, but it's in that chapter where he says, hey, here's water, what's preventing me from being baptized? And so it appears to be in that text just two people, I would also refer you to Acts 16, where it appears that um, the jailer is baptized with just his household. Seems to be more of a family baptism. Did friends gather? Perhaps, we're not told, but the text indicates that the salvation, the preaching of the word, the instruction on the gospel, and then the baptism occurred with the jailer and then his house. Um, I think it's in Acts where there were some who were baptized, some disciples who were baptized because they had not heard of the Holy Spirit, and it seems to be a rather small crowd there. They did not wait, it appears, until like a later time when the church gathered. So I want to be 
clear here that there are instances in which baptism does seem to happen in a smaller setting in the sense that there weren't a lot of people. By the same token, there is a sense that baptism identifies you with a group, and so there are moments in Scripture, Acts chapter 2, in which baptism occurs in front of a lot of people. Uh, It is a public moment. It is an identifying um, uh, statement that you make. And so I think we have to ask ourselves this, what is the reason that I'm wanting to be baptized in a smaller setting? Why do I want fewer people to know? And I think if the motive, the reason is not unbiblical or not, you know, based in fear or that we're trying to run from something, then I probably personally don't see a problem there. I don't know that I would personally want to make it a practice, but I think there may be some allowance there. But I would say to you that if the real motive is that you just don't want people to know or you're trying to hide it or you just want to be very few people there so you're not embarrassed, I wouldn't do that baptism because I think it defeats the purpose of the act. And if there's fear, if there's none, if there's an unwillingness to confess Christ openly and publicly, then the real reason is not the way or the environment of the baptism. The real problem is why are you ashamed to be baptized? And so I hope that answers the question. There is not a verse that says it has to be in front of a crowd, but I think the public aspect of baptism gets to the heart of the matter. And if that's what uh, someone's afraid of is you know, being known as a Christian, then we have a deeper issue. Question two is this, why were the Jews being baptized by John prior to the coming of Christ? And of course, this is Matthew chapter 3. It's referenced, of course, in Acts 19. Uh, The best way to see this is that John's baptism, much like his ministry, was one of preparation. And so that baptism really prepared people for the coming of Christ. It uh, positioned their hearts to uh, accept the reality of the Messiah as God's answer and um, provider of atonement for the sins of people. And this is what John was doing, preparing people uh, for the Messiah. And if you recall, the Pharisees, when they saw this, they refused to be baptized by John. And so it indicates their heart was not prepared to receive God's Son. Just kind of keep this in mind. The point of John's baptism, he calls it, in fact, a baptism of repentance. It is a, uh, it was a way to prepare your heart for the coming of Christ in that time. I would remind you that technically that was a baptism of the Old Testament because Christ had not died yet. And though it's found in the New Testament writings, it's still in the Old Testament time period of the prophets, uh, of God's work prior to the coming of Christ. And so baptism was something known as a symbol in that time period. Uh, I would remind you of this as well. Baptism was symbolically known even in Israel's time period. Uh, They were referred to as being baptized in the Red Sea. So as they came out of deliverance from Egypt and then they passed through the Red Sea, it was this moment of baptism. It's the first step after their deliverance or we could say after their redemption. And so there is some very symbolic baptistic, we'll call them baptismal-ish moments in the Old Testament that I think help us understand more of its significance even in the New Testament. But to your question, yes, um, the Jews were being baptized, uh, and by the way, Gentiles were as well, in John the Baptist's time, 
as a means of preparing their hearts for the coming of Christ and seeing Jesus as their Messiah and Savior. Question three, uh, a little longer, but let me just give you the gist of it. Uh, Why, uh, with so many clear references to baptism's pattern, which is conversion, immersion, distinction, or hearing the word, then being baptized, and then following Christ, with so many clear references in the Bible, how did so many churches get off track? So our question is, how do we end up with so many variations of something that in the Bible seems to be really clear? It's a very good question. I'll offer an opinion here. There may be some historical references to times and places in which, um, you know, um, this could be proven or perhaps even um, rebuffed. So I'm going to give you my opinion as to why I think uh, many churches have gotten off track from what is a clear biblical pattern. I think, first of all, uh, I'm going to use these two words. I think perhaps apparent necessity for a different mode seemed to be present. And I might even say it like this. There was a disguised necessity for a different mode. And so perhaps in some of the eras of intense persecution, a sprinkling became the pattern or maybe the what they would say or what we might look back and say the necessary mode. And so when it wasn't as necessary, then it seemed to stay around. And there may have been other modes as well. But I would say one reason is what we would call apparent necessity. But when the necessity that seems to be apparent is over, it takes... Um, uh, faithful shepherds to pull a church back to what is really the biblical pattern. And perhaps another reason then that, um, you know, unbiblical modes or even unbiblical patterns persisted was because of fearful shepherds. There just wasn't clear voices to call the church to what is a clear biblical pattern. Now, this is not, these are not the only two reasons, and I'm not saying these are the, um, uh, um, most historical or even most proven reasons. I'm giving here an opinion on why I think certain unbiblical modes and patterns persist even today, and that is because of maybe what we'd call disguised or apparent necessity. And then I think sometimes fearful shepherds are just unwilling to voice a, 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 a word of clarity. They're, they're fearful to ring a clear bell about the way the Bible describes and shows um, uh, how baptism operates. And so that would be an answer to the question, agreeing or disagreeing, uh, feel free. But to answer the question, I would say those are two reasons that many churches perhaps have gotten off track in regards to the biblical pattern of baptism. And then our last question today is actually asked twice. Let me read both of them to you so you can get a sense of what they're asking. Um, One person asks this, um, what if someone accepts Jesus on their deathbed and they can't get baptized? And the person is wondering, uh, you know, what do you do then? I I would say, first of all, to that question, they are born again um, and they weren't able to get baptized, that does not affect their eternal destination. Uh, They simply weren't able to take the next step of obedience, but it does not mean they are less of a Christian in that sense, all right? 
So I'm going to get to a better answer, uh, but just understand, first of all, it doesn't lessen their extent of salvation. It doesn't mean they don't go to heaven. They're not you know, missing on the kingdom of God um, at all. So understand that it's salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's what saves a person. But they did miss out on this uh, symbol and this step of obedience. Um, so be aware of that. But the question, I think, is further explained when the same, excuse me, when another person asked this question. So in the case of someone on their deathbed who wants to be obedient and get baptized but is physically unable to be immersed, is sprinkling an appropriate way to handle it? And in fact, this was asked in the service, would you sprinkle someone on their deathbed who could not be immersed? And all three of our elders were faced with answering this question. And if you recall the service, if you weren't there, let me just kind of walk you through it. I asked all the elders, hey, tell us where you are on this. Um, the elder to my right, Mike, he gave his answer. Then I expressed my answer, which was, I would do all I could to immerse them and if I couldn't, I don't know what I would do next. And I just told him, I don't know what I would do in that case. And we all had a good laugh at that. And then Scott spoke to his opinion as well, which was similar to mine. He just wasn't quite sure, kind of said that it would be a case-by-case. Case. But the question on, that we were wrestling with was, would we sprinkle if someone on their deathbed found it impossible to be immersed? Which is very similar to the first question. You know, what do you do with someone who's on their deathbed? and becomes a Christian, but can't get baptized. So I want to provide for you my reasoning now, because I think I have an answer, at least that works for my personal conscience, and what I think, as a pastor, I would or would not do. And here's my answer and my reasoning. In that event of someone on their deathbed, unable to really be immersed, and by the way, I'll pause here and say this, I think there are a number of, of, of mechanisms, machines, ways, or tools that we can lower someone into a a pool or a tub, and actually immerse them even with physical malady. So it's not impossible. I would try to find every way possible to baptize that person by immersion if I could. But if there was no way to get that done, and they were on their deathbed, and they trusted Christ, would I sprinkle them? And the answer is, I would not. And this isn't to say that those who would are wrong. I'm telling you my personal opinion— and I want to make sure you have, that you you know my reasoning because Sunday morning and you know in the moment I really didn't know what I would do and I told him that and it created a kind of a humorous moment. But as I thought more, what verse do I have for an answer? Like if if there is an answer to the question, I, I want to always tether my reasoning, even if it's just an opinion. I want to tether that reasoning to Scripture. And here, here's where I'm landing. You know, the thief on the cross trusted Christ and was assured of being with Jesus that day in paradise. And he was not baptized, but was assured of eternal life. I, I think I'm rooting my answer in that, that if someone on their deathbed comes to Christ but can't in any way be baptized, I'm going to not sprinkle because I don't think sprinkling is baptism. So I'm going to lean on the promises of Christ to the thief on the cross, that he will extend that in the same manner, I know he will, to this person on their deathbed in the current uh, situation. And they will see Christ, they're eternally saved, they receive the gift of salvation, instead of pretending to baptize them in some manner that really isn't baptism. I'm just going to lean on the same situation that happened 
at Calvary on Golgotha with that thief and that God knew exactly what to do and assured him of his eternal destination and of his salvation. And I'll say to this person on their deathbed, hey, God has saved you. You'll see Jesus. And though we can't baptize you, it's better not to be baptized than to pretend to be baptized. And then I would just um, wish them Godspeed. And as they pass on to their real life in heaven with Jesus personally, I know that God will receive them because salvation's by grace and faith alone. And though it would be minus that step of obedience in that sense, it in no way um, um, prevents them from entering the kingdom of heaven because they've been born again. So, to answer the question that came in Sunday uh, that we wrestled with and to answer the one that came in even by email here twice, no, I would not sprinkle someone on their deathbed who was unable by any means to get baptized because I don't believe sprinkling is baptism and because I trust what Jesus did for the thief, he will do as well for the one on their deathbed in this current time. Well, thanks for joining me today on the Extra Point Podcast. Really glad you listened in to our four questions. I hope they've helped. Again, uh, we may have some variations on those answers. Me and, and you as a listener can even disagree. But I love the fact that we're wrestling with some of these things. And I know there's, there's for sure one thing we agree on, that this is part of the Great Commission, this idea of baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And my prayer, especially for our church, First Family, and this is on behalf of all of our pastors, is that we will continue to make the Great Commission the wall against which we lean every ladder of every life and every ministry. And that includes making sure that in the disciples that we make, that we baptize them and that we teach them to obey. That's what we're after. So church, thanks for listening today. Hope it's been a blessing and I'll see you next week on the Extra Point Podcast.